0: God does not value what the world values. The world is impressed with fame and money and outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. As Psalm 51.17 says, "O oh God, a humble and repentant heart you will not reject. God desires people who truly grasp the depth of their sin And their need to be forgiven. And this woman is an amazing example of that. This is a woman who truly knew her forgiveness. And thus she loved God much. And that's the take home message. To know our forgiveness is to love our forgiver. When we really know and understand and grasp the cost of our forgiveness. We will love God much. Like this woman. This morning, I don't want to talk about what the world values. I want to talk about what God values. And these verses point out three things that God values. That if if we value these things, we will have a heart like God's. And so here is the first one. Our forgiver values courageous pursuit. Our forgiver values courageous pursuit. Look at verses 36 through 40 again with me. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. So what we have here is what would be referred to as a dignitary meal. Okay, this is like an upper class, upper echelon meal that this Pharisee, someone who would have been respected in that society, is putting on and he invited Jesus. Now, in that culture, these types of meals were actually open to spectators. They were open to the public. And so we see that there are guests there. We don't know how many guests were there. But I think there's this unwritten rule that certain people should show up at this, right? This would have been a very religious meal, And suddenly, to everyone's surprise, this woman who's referred to as a sinner, who was known in that society as a sinner, she shatters all social norms and she shows up at this dinner. And you can imagine, I don't know if you've ever been uh, in an upper echelon important dinner and something awkward happens. It's like everybody tenses up, you know? Everybody must have been tensing up when this woman showed up. But then it got worse. She began to weep and, and if she was going to use her hair to wipe Jesus' feet, you'd imagine it wasn't just a couple tears. She's likely sobbing and she's washing Jesus' feet. And she brought a perfume vessel and she's putting it on Jesus' feet. It may, have been, it may have been expensive perfume, we just don't know. And she's kissing his feet. And so you, you can just imagine how awkward it felt for the Pharisee and the other guests. And then Simon doesn't say this out loud, but he says it to himself, Jesus can't be a prophet because if he was, he'd know this woman was a sinner. It doesn't even cross his mind that Jesus does know who she is. He just might have a different view of this woman. And to remove all doubt that Jesus is a prophet, Jesus answers Simon's thought and is going to tell him a parable. What I want you to notice is how courageous this woman is. How courageous she is. You know, she had to know that she would be looked down upon by everybody at this dinner. She would be judged by the Pharisee, looked down on by the guests. But she didn't care. She said, I need Jesus. And so she showed up. You know, one of the most beautiful things at Prairie Bible Church that I experience is when people come through our doors on Sunday morning who are not doing okay. Who woke up in the morning and said, I am not okay, but I need Jesus this morning. Did you know it's okay to not be okay at church? I know when you come to church, you put your best smile on, you get your best handshake or probably hug ready. But sometimes we don't wake up wanting to go to church. In fact, sometimes when I greet people and ask how your week went, I can see that they're just fighting back the tears. I can tell that they didn't wake up really wanting to go to church this morning. But they woke up and they said, I don't care what other people think about these tears. I need Jesus this morning. That's the type of heart that God values. And the best place you can be when you're struggling is church. It really is. And I hope when you walk through our doors at Prairie Bible Church, you'll know that we are not a museum for the righteous. We are a hospital for the broken. You know, there are accounts all over the gospels of Jesus valuing courageous pursuit. I remember the man who was paralyzed and his friends brought him to Jesus on a bed, and they couldn't get through the crowds. So they went home and gave up. No, that's not what they did. They climbed the roof and they broke the roof. Whoever owned that house must have been upset about that. It's not in the account, but they lowered the man down to Jesus. And Jesus didn't turn that man away. He healed that man. Or the blind beggar. Remember the blind beggar when Jesus was, was passing by with crowds and there would have been a commotion and he said, who's, who's passing by? And they said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says that the people around him rebuked him. And so he gave up. No, no. He didn't give up. He cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus healed him. Or the woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and went and saw every doctor she could, and no one could heal her. And so at her last wits' end, she fights through the crowd as Jesus is on his way to heal someone else. And she gets just close enough to touch the hem of his garment, healed like that. Or Zacchaeus, that wee little man who climbed the sycamore tree. He was a chief tax collector, stigmatized by society, a sinner. But that didn't stop him from climbing that tree to see Jesus, because he needed Jesus. And he was restored. You see, God values courageous pursuit. Jesus values courageous pursuit. And even when the crowds and other people rebuke those seeking Jesus, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. You know, as I was reading this passage, I thought to myself, how many of us run into walls in our spiritual life because we get too concerned about what other people think rather than what Jesus thinks? The Bible says that the fear of man proves to be a snare. Fearing man more than you fear God will be a snare to your spiritual life. And this woman, she had tunnel vision on Jesus. She knew it sh- she would be judged. She knew she would be doubted. But she said, I need Jesus. And thus she serves as a great example for every one of us who want a stronger relationship with Jesus. Because our forgiver values courageous pursuit our forgiver values courageous pursuit here is value number 2 our forgiver values reverential love now jesus is going to begin to tell simon this parable that he didn't ask for but jesus is going to tell him anyway and he says this in verses 41 through 46 a certain money lender had two debtors one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled, that word means forgive, canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So let's look at this parable. First of all, there's this weird word, denari. Anytime you see a weird word in scripture, just say it confidently and everybody will believe you said it right. That's a free tip right there. So one debtor owed 50 denarii and another owed 500. And the moneylender forgave both. And he says, Simon, who will love him more? And the answer is obvious, the person with the larger debt. But one of the awesome things about the parables is that Jesus lets us find ourselves in the parable. So when Jesus would tell parables to the Pharisees, for instance, and they would get really offended, they were actually condemning themselves. They were acknowledging that they were certain people. And I can tell you exactly where Simon the Pharisee found himself in this parable the small debt. He had the small debt. And I can tell you exactly where he found the woman in this parable. He already told us the large debt. You know, Simon had the smaller debt, at least to external appearances. You know, Simon the Pharisee's sins were respectable sins, he was a respected man, esteemed by his colleagues. He had a position in society. He certainly viewed himself as having a small debt. This woman had a large debt. She was viewed as a sinner. Maybe it was her vocation, maybe it was something else, but it's it's clear that that's who Jesus is talking about when he talks about the large debt. But here's what I want you to notice both still have an unpayable debt. Both still have an unpayable debt. The problem is the woman realizes it and Simon doesn't realize it. I think that these two types of testimonies or backgrounds really uh, sum up the people who come into church. Okay, some of us uh, come to church or approach God from a place where you're a little bit more like Simon the Pharisee. Maybe you grew up and, and you were an easy child for your parents and you never had any of the ugly sins or the big testimony. You're kind of like Simon the Pharisee, a little bit of a smaller dad. And then there's other people who come into church who may have radically rebelled against the Lord and had this radical testimony coming back. By the way, both testimonies are beautiful testimonies. There's no such thing as a boring testimony, Okay. But I think most of us can put ourselves in one of these camps. But it's not just about what camp you're in. It's about do you recognize your debt? Do you recognize that you have a debt that needs to be forgiven by God? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's very clear that the woman understands that. And she shows that by her reverential love. As I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, uh, who should be showing reverence to Jesus here? The host. Who's the host? Simon. Simon didn't even take Jesus' coat and hang it up. He, He didn't do anything for Jesus here. And here's this woman pouring out her heart in reverential love. And Jesus says to Simon, listen, do you see this woman? Simon, you need to learn from this woman. Simon thought she needed to learn from him. He needed to learn from her. It reminds me of the account of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector went into the temple to pray? And the Pharisee walked in and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like the person three rows behind me at church. Right? And then he said, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. But then the tax collector comes in. And he can't even bring himself to look at God. And he beats his chest. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was the tax collector who went away justified. Because he who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see the point? So here's the question I have for you. Who do you resemble most? Simon the Pharisee or this woman? That society might have valued Simon the Pharisee more, but Jesus didn't. Who do we resemble as a church? Simon the Pharisee or the woman? I hope it's the woman. Because our forgiver values reverential love. And here's the final one. Our forgiver values saving faith. Our forgiver values saving faith. Look at verses 47 through 50. Jesus goes on to say, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus said three things to this woman that every single person in this room wants to hear desperately. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Don't we want to hear Your sins are forgiven. Your past is blotted out. And even when you leave here and you get it wrong, that's blotted out too. Isn't that what we need to hear? Don't we need that grace? Don't we want to hear your faith has saved you? That when we place our faith, hope, and trust in the finished work of Christ, we have salvation eternally? Talk about security. Don't we want to hear that message? And how about this one, go in peace? Aren't we starving for peace today? Don't we want peace? And so this woman leaves with everything when Jesus leaves her. You know, Jesus is the cause of her salvation. He is the object of her faith. She is falling at his feet, which is a great picture of what it means for us to come to Jesus, to fall at the foot of the cross, because we are all level at the foot of the cross. What a great representation she is of saving faith. And she had clear evidence of that saving faith. Jesus tells us the evidence. He says, for she loved much. She knew her forgiveness. And she deeply loved her forgiver. But what is heartbreaking about these verses is the other characters. You know, the guests, rather than rejoicing, like they were rejoicing in heaven when this sinner repented. Because that's what happens in heaven when a sinner repents. They weren't rejoicing. They were questioning Jesus and looking down on the woman. And that's a tragedy. But they really give away where they're at when they say three words here. Who is this? You know what? They didn't know Jesus. She knew Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. All they needed to do was turn to Jesus like this woman and have their debt wiped out, but they didn't know him. Even Simon the Pharisee doesn't appear to know him. He didn't say to Jesus, say it, Lord. He said, say it, teacher. He thought Jesus was just a good teacher. And so everybody missed it. And that's a tragedy. You know, when you turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, I can promise you that Jesus will embrace you. But I cannot promise you that other people will embrace you. Maybe you're here this morning, and what's in the back of your mind is you want to come to Jesus, but you don't know what your family will say when you get home. You want to come to Jesus, but when you go tell your friends, maybe they'll say, well, we'll see how long that'll last. How often do we let these things keep us from coming to Jesus? And let this woman serve as an example of caring more about what Jesus thinks than what people think. And what Jesus says about you than what people say about you. Because listen, it doesn't matter what people say about you. What matters is what God says about you. And when you come to Jesus, he says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Isn't that all we need to hear? So what does it mean to receive that from Jesus? It means to believe in the gospel. Band, you can come up. The gospel is that historical reality that 2,000 years ago, this man, Jesus, really walked this earth, really lived a perfect and sinless life, and was unjustly put to death on the cross. But because he was the pure and stainless and spotless lamb of God, having never sinned, death couldn't hold him. On the third day, he rose again. He appeared to his followers. And he ascended to heaven where right now as I preach this sermon, he is sitting at the right hand of God interceding for his people where all authority has been given to him and someday he's coming back. And every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you hear that message, there's only one proper response. To turn to Jesus. To turn to Jesus means repentance and faith. Repentance means to turn toward Jesus. And faith means to put your faith not in your finished work, but his finished work. And when you do that, when you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior, something amazing happens. Your past, like this woman's past, is reckoned to him on that cross and dealt with forever. And his righteousness is reckoned to your account like it was reckoned to this woman's account. So then you can come boldly to the throne of grace and have true peace. I hope that if you've never made that decision, you won't leave here without making it today.